Welcome to McKnight's Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information from industry leaders. Hi, I'm Liza Berger, editor of McKnight's Home Care. Home care is grappling with a crippling workforce shortage. How bad is it? Vicki Hoke, CEO of the Home Care Association of America, answered this question and more. I would say we're in critical condition. How's that? Hmm. We're in critical condition. Yes, we um You know, I've been doing this for over two decades now, representing the home care industry. And we have always talked about our workforce struggles, our workforce challenges. But today, 2022, it's different. It's more acute. It is um, at a time when the, the need for home care is at its highest because that's another result of the pandemic. And um, it's just so challenging because now when everyone does understand the value of home care and they're recognizing the benefits of being at home when one ages versus someone being in a facility, now when they come to us, we have to turn them away because we don't have the staff. And to me, that has got to just be such a hard thing for our home care agencies to have to do to turn away people. And that's what keeps me up at night. Where do they go? And the pandemic really, as you mentioned, raised the stature of home care. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, a new recognition of what home care, personal care actually does. In your view, how did it kind of change the profile of the profession? Well, I think number one, when, you know, right at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw just a huge number of people in nursing homes dying from COVID. Uh, I think it also, as, as we kept going through the pandemic, that continued to surface. And I think as things started to level off, policymakers were, were thinking, hmm, Perhaps this is not the best way to take care of our older population. Perhaps congregate living is not where we should first be going when an elderly person in America today grows old and can no longer live independently. And so just that switch in policy and in policymakers' minds really has been a wonderful opportunity for home care. But at the same time, it goes back to now that we have this more visibility, I think people are now understanding the value that we bring to healthcare. at a time when we should be thriving. We now have this workforce challenge that's really making this into a whole crisis situation. Mm -hmm. And so what are some immediate steps that would help to curb the shortage and also continue to I mean, raise the respectability of of the profession. Well, I think very early on, our home care providers recognized that they had to increase wages. And this is another issue that we have been dealing with for decades. And I'm really pleased to see, and whenever I talk with many of our members, they're telling me that they have increased wages significantly. Um, One, two dollars an hour. I think it is really kind of made us all focus on the value that our work that our workers bring. If we did not have quality workers, we would not have a business. And so I think it really kind of shook us to reality. And we said, you know what, 
We're going to have to pay more. We're going to have to do a better job in communicating. That's That was another interesting thing. Right at the height of the pandemic, Liza, we, um, there was a survey done on satisfaction, satisfaction from our workers, satisfaction from our clients. Both of those groups, we had the highest satisfaction rate at the height of the pandemic. And I have to believe it is because we were communicating. We were communicating more, more frequently. We were communicating better because it was so important for us to make sure that our workers knew about PPE and about the safeguards and that how to protect themselves as well as their clients. So I think that then, you know, just that in itself also showed, I think you're also starting to see uh, agencies actually really thinking about career paths for their uh, direct care workers, which is so important. I just think that this particular group of people Uh, Number one, there's 2.4 million home care workers today. And that is a very large amount of people that absolutely control how well an older American does as they stay at home. They save government money by bringing care into the home as opposed to having someone go into a nursing home. They provide a person's well-being, a companion, Uh, They promote independence. They monitor conditions. In fact, during the pandemic, I would often say, you know, when you think about it, home care is kind of like the prescription for COVID. We were dealing with the most vulnerable to the the, um, disease. We were keeping them a home away from crowds, keeping them safe and monitoring their condition. That's what made us so vital and so critical during the pandemic. You've also raised some interesting um, ideas for more of a a long-term solution, not only to to help the shortage, but also just to keep people understanding and respecting what home care workers do. You released a report, the state of home care industry at a crossroads uh, a few months ago. And in the report, you advocate for establishing a national quality standard for home care. There currently is not one. What will this do for for the industry? Uh, I, I can't tell you. I think it would do so many things. Number one, it provides us with a base level of care. In other words, every home care agency would have the same standards of care. Right now, we are a very fragmented industry. We only have 30 states in the country having a license to operate a home care agency. All the other ones, there are no, you know, no guidelines, no standards. So national standards is something that we believe in, that we will continue to promote. But in the meantime, we also promote state licenses. We were so happy that we finally got le- uh, legislation passed in Ohio. So that passed uh, in July, and now we're working on regulations. We're looking at Connecticut. We're looking in Michigan, because I believe it. It elevates us and it makes this industry, and when I say this industry, I'm talking about the personal care, the non-medical care, whatever you'd like to call it, part of that healthcare continuum. Without it, it's going to be very difficult to elevate the whole industry because there's no national standards. And I remember going through this in the pandemic when we tried to get tests for our workers And the federal government said, well, what are your standards? Who monitors your care? And I had to say, well, it depends on the state. So that would not only elevate the the industry, it also would elevate 
home care workers who, who are so valuable. It would also make it very easy for us to start working side by side with our other um, sectors in the healthcare system, whether it's a hospital, a nursing home, or an adult day, because they would understand all of our standards. We also, though, in the meantime, I want to mention that the Home Care Association of America has developed a code of conduct that if you are in a state that does not have a license, we ask our members to sign a code of conduct, which really has standards in it that says, I, you know, even without having a license, I will abide by these standards, which is, I think, really good for our consumers. And how kind of realistic is the national standard idea? I mean, is this something that could come to fruition maybe in the next decade or so? Yeah, boy, I'm an optimist. So I think with all the increased visibility, I think also with the prevalence of people wanting to age in their own home, I think it is going to come. Uh, There has been in the past legislation in Congress to have a national standard for home care workers. So that goes right in hand with having a national standard for the people that they work for, which would be home care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I'd like to just raise some of the other points in your report. Mm-hmm. Um, you also talk, talked about that the payment system is faulty and needs to change. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about what this would look like. Well, you know, right now, primarily those individuals who are receiving home care, and I mean personal care in their homes, are paying for it privately, unless they, have, they meet that low-income threshold, then Medicaid will pay for home care. And so, and then now we have Medicare Advantage, which we were delighted to see that CMS gave the green light to Medicare Advantage plans to offer in-home personal care as a supplemental service. We are finding that that is indeed the most popular service that these MA plans are offering. Uh, We also have seen in between 21 and 22, that there was a 70% increase in the number of MA plans offering in-home support. And I think that shows that this is what older Americans want. And for so long, Medicare didn't pay for this. uh, Medicaid didn't pay for it for middle-income folks. And so that's a real promising sign. But on the Medicaid front, every state in this country requires the state to pick up nursing home care. It's an entitlement for everyone. In other words, when you have no money left, Medicaid will take you and take care of you in a nursing home. That same entitlement is not offered to an individual who wants to age in place. In order to have Medicaid pay for that, each state must apply for an exception to the rule or what's called a waiver. And the other thing that does not um, help having people get home care is when you go into a nursing home, you can have a lot of money and you begin spending down. I think everyone knows what that means, right? You spend down to the point where you have nothing, Medicaid kicks in, right? So you can start getting care. If you want to have care paid for in your home by Medicaid, here is the income limit, one penny over, you can't get it. And so we need to make certain that every American has the option of aging in place where they want to be. And usually that is in their home. It seems that the waiver program is 
really taking off um, in terms of the state level. And, yeah. And, and I, the balancing yeah. is has shifted. Balancing is shifting. Much more Medicaid dollars are going to home. Medicaid calls it home and community-based services. I think another thing that has really given that a big push is the fact that um, under the American Rescue Plan, uh, states received a, a 10% increase in the number of federal dollars for home and community-based services. I think that's another recognition that we now understand that it's better to keep people vulnerable to the disease at home. So states got more money to invest in home and community-based services. And do you see this should this continuing to shift? Oh, I think it is, Liza. I think I think it's I always like to say it's a win-win. And you don't get too many win-wins, a win for government and a win for consumers. But home and community-based services, it's a win for government because we know that you can pretty much serve two to three people in their home compared to one in a nursing home. And most people that are in a nursing home are being paid for by Medicaid. But if we can keep them in their own home, we're not going to be spending that much money. So it's a win for government. And we all know that everyone wants to age in their own home. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to some of these things that you're saying, but I don't I don't want to not talk to you without mentioning immigration reform, which is yeah. a really important um, belief on your part in terms of how to make things better for the industry. Tell us about what what your ideas are in this regard. Yeah. Well, immigration is one of our six priority areas that we mentioned in the Crossroads report. I think if you're going to do anything about this workforce issue, you've got to also have in, in your multitude of solutions. One of those has got to be immigration. Right now, 30% of our workforce is our immigrants. Um, and what we're proposing, we have been working on legislative language to introduce a special temporary visa to have people come into this country to work in the senior care arena. Uh, it is, we've been working with the leading age as well as the American Healthcare Association. Both of those are nursing home associations. We over here on this side to come up with language. And now we're about, we're trying to get some good sponsors to introduce that. Um, this would be a, a temporary visa with about 85,000 available. Again, our issue, we understand the sensitivity right now around immigration. So, um, but at the same time, immigration and immigrants have always been very, very important in this area of home care. So we're keeping our fingers crossed that we can get that bill introduced soon. Mm -hmm. It seems like immigration reform has been a, a kind of a hot topic for a while. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. Going back to what you said um, on the payment front, um, particularly in, in regard to Medicare Advantage. Mm. Um, there's just been a lot of information and reporting about Medicare Advantage, certainly from our publication, Yes, about how it's really taken off. It's, it's going to surpass, you know, the amount of total Medicare lives in, in just a matter of time. And a reason, as you refer to, that it's done so well is because it offers home care benefits. 
Are you very bullish and, and positive and enthusiastic about Medicare Advantage, or do you have any reservations about this new, new fangled Medicare yeah. option? Well, you know, it, it has been slow to start, but anything is slow to start. Um, I know our providers are, are concerned about the low reimbursement rate and the few hours that they're being given. Um, I, I think, number one, that we have got to do a better job in proving our value. And when I say proving our value, show me that four hours of personal care every other day keeps that person out of the hospital. Because MA plans, that's what it's all about, managing care, managing costs. So, and, and we don't want them to get into the mindset of, oh, this is cheap care, right? Cheap care that will help reduce expensive care. That's not the case at all. This is care that's valuable care. And that I would rather them say it's valuable care. Sure, it's less than a hospitalization, of course. But at the same time, to do it right, it may take more hours. And we have to respond to that workforce that is demanding higher wages. So the reimbursement is something that we also want to talk about. Now, the good news about MA plans, of course, and Liza, you know this, this is of course, they have a rate, but if you prove your value, you can negotiate that rate, right? And so I encourage everyone to start doing, and that's one of our other um, priority areas, doing much more data collection, much more comparison of this personal care has helped reduce falls, has helped reduce hospitalizations, has kept that person um, who might be a diabetic, you know, eating well, keeping that nutrition up. So that's another really important because this sector of, of home care, we really do not have a whole lot of good data to prove our value. So that's another area that we really want to do better on. I want to just move um, kind of in the remaining time we have to some legislation um, that didn't pan out in the last year. There was a lot of high hopes um, mm-hmm. around Build Back Better and it, right now, it's it's really stalled in Congress and nothing is happening. Is there any hope, do you think, for any aspects of this bill passing uh, this year? Or at least, you know, during Biden's first term? Yeah, you know, I, I think Build Back Better as a plan is is probably not going to occur, but I think certain components of it will. Um, there are two that we're really watching and hopeful about. One is the credit for caring. This is a bill that we have longed to have made law. It was part of that House bill when it got to the House, and then it was taken out at the last minute. Um, But the Credit for Caring Act, again, would give families who are paying privately for home care a tax incentive. You know, we're, we're big with tax incentives in this country. Um, and, and what's very sad and disappointing is they took this out, but kept the tax incentive for electric trucks. You know, I that that's our dilemma. We have got to somehow figure out how to tell the story of long-term care needs in this country so people understand that this is a definite crisis and we've got to, you know, figure it out. So the credit for caring is a standalone bill. We continue to have conversations with people. We were told that there is a lot of support. So we're hoping that one somehow gets pulled back in. And then 
Senator Casey has a bill, which was in the other one, for improving and expanding home and community-based services under Medicaid. And part of that bill goes back to what I talked about, making home care an entitlement, just like nursing homes. That would just be wonderful. And so we're watching those two. And then there are other bills out there. Um, there's a Choose Home Care bill. Again, uh, it calls for 360 hours of personal care. Um, we're hoping that we can work with our brothers and sisters in the home health field to provide that. And then the other one is the Elizabeth Dole. That would um, really, really help our veterans. And we would be able to spend as much money in home care as we can on nursing home care. It would make us even again. So again, another sign that I think people are realizing we need to have options and it's, and we need to give that options to the client or the consumer. Well, that was a really uh, interesting discussion. Hope to talk with you again. Thank you so much, Vicki Hoke, Home Care Association of America. Thank you so much. 